By the way, people, people have asked me what our assistant pastor's job description is going to be. He is going to be the uh, pastor, assistant pastor of family ministries and community engagement. So family ministries overseeing everything from nursery up in the children, uh, connect groups, and, uh, and, and then working on helping us um, connect with our community relationally. Uh, so the traditional term is outreach, but, but looking at what we can do uh, to engage in our community relationally and make a difference as we build relationships. So family ministries and community engagement, that's going to be his focus. Have you ever entered into an agreement or signed a contract and somewhere down the road the other, other person broke the agreement? Okay, entered a contract. You don't have to raise your hands. I saw some already. Or maybe they just compromised a little bit on the terms of the contract at your expense. It happens all the time, doesn't it? In fact, the reason we have so many attorneys is because we have become a very litigious society. We, we tend to break contracts left and right. We just don't think anything about it. What if you sold your house on a contract for deed and the purchaser paid 20,000 down and the contract states they will now pay you $1,000 a month for 30 years? Then after five years, the, the buyer writes you a letter and says, uh, we, we wanna pay for your house, but we can only afford to pay $500 a month instead of the agreed upon $1,000 a month I hope it's okay. No, it's not okay. We have a contract, okay? We have a covenant. You just don't do that. If you do that, you will likely lose the house. Well, the nation of Israel had entered into a contract with Jehovah God. It was a covenant, it was a covenant. God had made covenant promises, first of all, starting with Adam and Eve, and then to Abraham, and then to Noah, and finally to Israel through Moses. And as it comes down to what's relevant to us also, he was given a contract or a covenant to us through Jesus. Jesus' covenant was a new covenant in his body and blood, and it was a covenant, it's an agreement. If you follow these commandments, you obey and love and serve me, then I will fight for you, I will give you land as an inheritance, I will establish you as a nation, and I will give you more than you could ever imagine. I will bless you. A, a covenant, like a contract, has an if and a then. If, then. Now we're studying the book of Joshua. As we get to the end of the book, we've got today and next Sunday on, in Joshua, we're studying about Joshua, and we find that Joshua's getting very old. His life is drawing to a close. Now, we all deal with old ages sooner or later. There was a man named Sir John Mortimer, age 77, said, no one should grow old who isn't prepared to be ridiculous. He also said the real trouble with old age is that it lasts for such a short time, but those are, those are other things. So here's Joshua. He sensed that there was already a tendency for the nation of Israel to compromise on this covenant, to back out of the agreement. So he calls the people together, beginning with the leaders, to give them a call to remain steadfast, to be faithful in holding to this covenant or this contract with God. Today we're gonna to look at covenant or compromise. Covenant or compromise. And I'd like you to turn with me to Joshua. Joshua, the 23rd chapter. Joshua 23, it's on page 188 in the Bible in the rack in front of you, if you want to read along, or it'll be on the PowerPoint as well. 
Joshua 23. After a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua by then, old and well advanced in years, summoned all Israel, their elders and leaders, judges and officials, and said to them, I am old and well advanced in years. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Great Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will drive them out of your way. He will push them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourself with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I am about to go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as every good promise of the Lord your God has come true, so the Lord will bring on you all the evil he has threatened until he has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. At this point in Joshua and the nations of history, Israel had essentially defeated their enemies. They had rest from war. Well, whenever God's people possess blessings and things are going great, they, they tend to get comfortable and they begin to forget. And when they forget, they begin to compromise, compromise. So Joshua brings them together to give them some reminders. He starts out by reminding them, number one, of their past history, of their past history. This is a theme throughout all the Bible. Remember, remember, remember. He said, one key to fulfilling the side of the covenant is to, letter A, give God credit for all we are and have. Give God the credit for all we are and, and what we have. It's because of what God has done that we are where we are today. And why was that for them? Why is it for us? Number one, God fought for us, he said. God fought for us. In verse three, it says, God has done this all. He fought for you in verse three. Time and again, it's evident to Israel that their battles were fought in the supernatural realm. And because of that, number two, God gave the victories. It was God who gave the victories. When they crossed the Jordan River and they defeated Jericho, when they defeated Ai eventually, the defeat of the Amorites where the sun stood still. They obviously saw the hand of God, supernatural hand of God in their victories. And as, as we look back on our lives, 
It's critically important to give God the credit for the battles that have been won, the battles that have been fought. When we come out on top, it's easy to take credit ourselves for the great qualities that somehow produce success. And we forget it was God who fought the battle, God who won the victory, not us. It's God. And thirdly, God gave the inheritance. It was God who gave them their inheritance of the land in the land of Canaan. It's interesting, the next chapter, which we'll look at next week, uh, Joshua 24, 13, God says, so I gave you a land on which you did not toil, cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from the vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Wow, they came into this land and they took control of it. It was all set up for them because God gave them this inheritance. Could anybody take credit for that? Anybody? There was a new pastor in a rural parish who was invited to one of his deacon's homes for dinner. And the deacon was a farmer, and he was very proud of his farm. And after dinner, he took the pastor on a tour of his farm. And he showed him his neatly cultivated fields, and the pastor said, wow, isn't God good? Then the farmer showed him the immaculately fenced pastures he had, and the pastor said, wow, isn't God good? Then the pastor showed him the newly painted and redone barn and chicken coops and the grain silos, and the pastor exclaimed again, wow, isn't God good? Five times the pastor exclaimed, isn't God good? The farmer, finally flustered at all this, said, yes, God is good, but you should have seen this farm when God had it all to himself. We, we tend to want to take credit for our success, and yet God is the one who really deserves the credit for all we have and all we are. John Huffman writes, when we are able to give our successes back to God as his accomplishments, we are also free from having to take full responsibility for what some might call failure. As we look back in our history, as Joshua now does, it's finally important that all of us give God the credit for all we have and all we are, that God fought the battles, God gave the victories, God gave the inheritances. That's part of the covenant, past history. And it's important to look back at past history to remember. Then Joshua moves on to present reality, present reality, number two. And he gives them five action steps they must follow to experience the full covenantal blessings in the present. Five action steps that I think we can learn from. The first one, letter A, is learn the word of God. Learn the word of God. He says, be very strong, careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. He says, read it. He says, study it, meditate, and memorize it. And the word of God includes head, it includes our intellect, and it informs us with information. Also addresses the heart, which is attitude. You can have all the head if you don't have the attitude or what God does in the heart. And then it's hand, it's action. There's a full, it's head, heart, and hand. And he said, let the word of God permeate your being. Permeate your being. The Bible is the authority upon which I live my life. And we must know what it says. We have to know how it applies. Now, I haven't mastered it. I, I, I don't claim to understand everything in it. But that doesn't mean it's not vitally important to me. The present reality says that daily reading of God's word and understanding it is vital to my spiritual sustenance. There was a constitutional scholar who 
regarding our U.S. Constitution, a written document during a recent election, encouraged leadership to know every paragraph, every nuance, every intention of the writer because, so that it so permeates their consciousness that they really know it. Very few, few people know the founding documents in the Constitution of the United States so much that they can quote chapter or verse, they can quote everything from the Constitution because they're leading this country. They must know the Constitution. Huffman writes about the Word of God. He says, when I keep this Word in my heart and I bathe my very essence of being in the teachings of God's Word, my life functions much more smoothly, much more creatively. Letting the Word of God permeate, let it become a huge part of our daily life, every single day. The Word of God. The brilliant classical pianist Arthur Rubinstein when speaking of the importance of practice and the importance of immersion in his music, he was a performer. He once said, if I miss practicing one day, I notice. If I miss practicing two days, my wife notices. If I miss three days, the world notices. The world notices. If we miss the reading of God's word even for one day, it will begin to take the cutting edge off of our life, our success. Learn the word of God. That's the foundation. Second action step is obedience. 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 Do what it says. Verse 6 talks about without turning aside to the right or to the left. Psalm 1 um, verse 3 talks about this, taking the word of God and making a part of our life. And he says, if you, if you listen to the word of God and you obey the word of God, he said, he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. There, there's stability, there's nourishment. It says it yields fruit in its season, which means it's predictable, it's, it's fruitful, it's productive, it's successful. It says this leaf doesn't wither. In other words, it withstands storms, troubles, trials, and tough times. And in whatever he does, he prospers. There's prosperity and success. Those that learn the word of God live. Let it permeate our whole being, the word of God. Thirdly, present reality calls for separation, separation. In verse 7, it says, Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them nor bow down to them. What is he saying? He's saying, separate yourself from the world. This, this is a challenge. This is a huge challenge. Because we're citizens of two worlds. Citizens of two worlds. And we have responsibilities as, as members of the human race. But we must be careful not to buy in completely to the values of the society in which we live. Joshua addresses this issue, and it's very relevant to us today. The, the illustration Jesus used was salt. Salt. He said, you are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. Now, one of the interesting things, of character qualities about salt is salt can penetrate the meat without becoming part of the meat. It adds flavor. It makes people thirsty. It does all kinds of things. But salt actually goes into meat without becoming part of the meat. It maintains its distinct identity. It remains separate, though it's even in the meat. And, and when it comes to us, being the salt of the earth means that we, need, we have to be in the world, but there's a separation in terms of values or ideas or thinking or morals. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. 
That's part of fulfilling the covenant. Jesus prayed in John 17, 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. He's, he's talking about his disciples, his followers. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. There's a degree of separation. We have to be in the world, but we can't be of the world. That takes supernatural action on God's part to protect us from actually sinking in and becoming part of that. Separation. Then we have letter D, dependence. Dependence. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. Hold fast to the Lord your God. Cling to. Hang on to. Don't let go. There are, there are a lot of things around us that say, hold on to me. Okay? Depend on me. There are things like, like money or possessions or relationships or jobs or homes. We, we hang on to things. Some, some people, like to, we like to hang on. Most of us like to hang on to certain things. And if we cling to or depend on these instead of God, we'll eventually be disappointed. Disappointed. Hang on to God, God's presence and God's power. And he says, as a result of that, verse 10, one of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. Hanging on to God, clinging to God. Present reality. That's present reality. And then letter E, devotion. Devotion. Verse 11 says, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. Love God. It's the first statement in our, in our statement of, of purpose. Love God. Love God. A friend of mine was driving on a Southern California freeway late one night, and his as he was driving, his attention was drawn to this really nice car. He was into cars, and he really saw this beautiful car driving next to him. And then he noticed that there was also in the car this very attractive young lady. And she looked at him and motioned for him to follow her. It was incredibly enticing. So he did. He did. He got in the lane behind her. He's, and he thought, who would know? It's late at night. Los Angeles is a big place. So he got in the lane behind her. He said, who would know? He said, I, I would still love my wife. And as a woman exited off the freeway, somehow my friend regained his senses and moved back onto the freeway, letting her go. Well, he was so disturbed by that and his encounter and his near fall, because it was a near fall, that he sought counsel from a close friend. And he told me about his conversation with his close friend. He said, he said his fr to his friend about this encounter, he said, it's as if I could have done that and still loved my wife. Why do I feel this way? And his friend said, no. No, you couldn't still love your wife because love is commitment, not emotions. If you violate your commitment, you are no longer loving your wife. Love. If we violate our commitment, our, commi our covenant, our commitment of love to God, if we sin, we are no longer loving God, we're loving ourselves. And the true test of love is not emotions or feelings, but commitment. It's commitment. Obeying. Obeying God. Devotion. Loving God. So learn the word of God. Obedience, separation, dependence, and devotion. That's what covenant is all about. So what about compromise? What about compromise? 
How did compromise happen to Israel? And how does compromise become a reality to us today, here in our lives in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, the United States of America? Compromise, let's look at compromise. In Israel, there were two distinct value systems, the Israelites worshiping one true God and the Canaanites who worshiped idols. Very different, idols in one true God. And at first, when they entered the land, it was pretty black and white. Then the lines began to, to blur. They started to intermarry. They began to compromise. And soon, all of Israel was seduced into apostasy. And if you read through the Old Testament, you, you see what happened. And God would send prophets and say, repent, repent, return to me. And they wouldn't. And eventually, he sent them in, into, um, into Babylon for 70 years until they could get their act together and come back. Compromise. How does, how does compromise happen? Well, the sequence, there's a sequence. It's the same, same today as it was back then. Uh, I gave the illustration several, several weeks ago about the frog in the kettle. If you, if you throw a frog into a pot of boiling water, it will immediately jump out. But if you take that same frog and put him in cool water and slowly heat it up to boiling, the frog will not discern the rising temperature and will slowly cook to death. There's a sequence of compromise. It's important that we are understanding it, this because it, happens, it happened then and it happens to us today. The first one is association, number one. The association. Now, we're not to isolate ourselves from the world, but like salt, we must remain distinct and as identifiable as different. We must be different in fact, not just in perception. In fact, not just perception. Too much association results in reverse evangelism and we get one over to the other side. So association, second is acceptance. As we associate, we, we develop a tolerance for the mindset, the thinking, the value system, and the ways of, of the culture around us. We're no longer disturbed nor concerned when we see evil in all of its forms. We, we should hate sin as much as God hates sin, and we begin to kind of tolerate it and just kind of accept it. And the next, next is accommodation. That's the beginning of compromise. Number three is accommodation. Compromise, we begin to take on the values, the way of thinking, and the actions of the culture around us. And this is very gradual. It's the frog in the kettle that happens very slowly. Very slowly. Paul warns us in Romans 12, 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So association, acceptance, accommodation, and the fourth is assimilation. Assimilation. At, at this stage, one can no longer see a difference between the Christian and non-Christian. And I'm not just talking about external behavior and things we do. We're talking about internal things that people may or may not be able to see. God knows, we know. Assimilation, and five is apostasy. This is the stage of rebellion. People at this point begin to promote the evil around us. We're no longer countering, we're no longer a counterculture, but we're promoting it. And this sequence can be found in every one of our lives, every area of our life, whether it's entertainment or recreation, the value system, our thought life, our priorities. What, what are God's kingdom's priorities? Materialism could be finances and debt. James 4.4 4 
says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. And we're seeing this more and more in the open when it comes to uh, the political correctness and some of the values of our culture that it used to be that we were for traditional marriage and we were for this or that. Now we are haters. And the reason people are called haters and part of hate groups, Southern Poverty Law Center includes Family Research Council. Family Research Council, Tony Perkins, they are there uh, in, in Washington, D.C. promoting family values, traditional family. They're, they're listed as a, as a hate group. Salvation Army is considered a, a hate group by some people. See, it's amazing because they promote, they promote traditional marriage. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. But there's that point at which it becomes more obvious and we have to say, what, what do we do with this? It says, friendship with the world can be hatred. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. I'd rather it be the other way. First, First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's compromise. And that happens sequentially. And, and we may be at different points of that compromise at different parts of our life. And I would just say, read the word of God, pray, spend time saying, God, where am I in my life? We're not to isolate ourselves from people. But we must keep that distinctive that says we are believers. That's the sequence of compromise. What are, what are some signs of compromise? What are signs of compromise? I just listed a few. Prayerlessness. Prayerlessness. No passion for souls. And, and let me just say something. Passion for the lost, it, it kind of waxes and wanes. It comes and goes. And, and if you're at that point, you say, you know, I, I don't know if I really care about the lost. Ask God, God, please give me a passion for people. Help me to see people as you see them. Help me to see past the, the bluster and the, the, the values and all the things that other people have. Help me to see them as broken in need of Jesus. No hunger for, for God's word or, and there's a complacency or self-satisfaction. John Huffman says, teaching on separation from the world is one of the most neglected teachings today. It is a difficult teaching because we are called to be the salt of the world. We are called to have relationships that are redemptive in nature. God calls us to have relationships with people that need Jesus, that, but they need to be redemptive in nature. We are warned against anything that leads to accommodation. The believer in Christ is different, and this differentness should be maintained. It's a, it's a healthy tension. It's a difficult tension at times. In verse 12, of course, he talks about the commands of God's people not to be unequally yoked in a mixed marriage, a believer and an unbeliever, and that led to all kinds of issues back then. The results of compromise, the results very quickly, defeat, discomfort, and disgrace. And they experienced all of those as a nation of Israel. So that's present reality. Let's look at future certainty. Let's look at future certainty. We'll start with the negative, because I always like ending on the positive. So the negative. In verse 16, 
It says, if, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. These were warnings time and again. Um, interesting passage of scripture in Deuteronomy, it talks about how the nation of Israel was coming past Mount Ebal, and they had on one side people speaking the blessings of God, and the other one, it was the cursings of God. And one side said, if you disobey, if you do this, these, this, these are the bad things that are gonna happen. On this side, it says, these are the good things that happened. And brought them through so that they had this incredible illustration of what it was gonna take if they disobeyed God or if they obeyed God, righteousness or unrighteousness. All God's judgments, he said, will be carried out for certain, no question. But the positive, the positive side says, you know with all your heart and soul that not one, not one, of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. All of God's promises will be carried out for our benefit. And you know what? You choose. I choose. We, we all, we, we get the choice. And we get to choose to stand. The question is, what, what do you choose today? Covenant or compromise? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us the real picture. Thank you, Lord, for showing us this time in the life of Joshua where he calls his leadership to, to follow you and to warn them of the consequences of compromise. And I pray, Lord Jesus, today that you would continue to call us to that covenant, back to the covenant, so that we, as a people of God, can stand strong and firm. You have so many promises that, that you want to fulfill in our lives. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would strengthen us, that we would be that salt and that light. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand, shall we?